Hi, I'm Paul Johnson. Thanks for listening to the podcast from Life Support. If uh, a child or adolescent or an adult for that matter is battling even mild depression, they're already hard enough on themselves. And that's, that where, that's where it gets hard as a parent, you know, when we're dealing with somebody that may, there may even be like bipolar disorder in the family. And bipolar de- disorder, the depressive episodes are very, you know, especially with bipolar 2, we call it, which is people that are more vulnerable with the swings to be more depressed longer. And when they come out of it, the bipolarity is more hypomania, you know, not as intense of mania. That is Todd Mulliken, author, professor, and counselor as he talks about the state of trauma and mental health in our society and in our churches. The name of this program is Life Support. Everything you do from then on is different. One of the detectives, I think his name was He was a golden boy. All we can do right now is come together. Extreme domestic violence, multiple rapes. This is Life Support. Hosted by Pastor Paul Johnson from Ridgewood Church in Minnetonka, Minnesota. My name is Steve Johnson, director of Five Stone Media, a co-sponsor of this program. And our goal, as always, is to use this story to bring hope and healing. And now let's join part two of our conversation with Todd Mulliken and Pastor Paul. Hey, welcome to Life Support. I'm so glad you're here today. What we do on this program is... We want you to find a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. And God does use suffering. He uses trauma in order to do that. So we tell stories, and I hope that you're encouraged today. My guest is Todd Mulliken. He's a licensed professional clinical counselor. He's also a prof at Minneapolis College. He's an author, and Todd, thanks a lot for being here. Thank you, Paul. Appreciate it. It's great to see you. And uh, we talked a lot last time about some of the dynamics in the home and you made a comment uh, right when we were finishing up about the interaction between being right and being liked. Mm-hmm. Tell me about that, and tell me how that kind of figures into a Christian home experience mm. for a couple that's trying to live for Christ. Maybe it's running into some of those dynamics. Yeah, well, if we think of the Gospel of John, Jesus came full of two things, full of truth and full of grace. And just one thing I've experienced with a lot of couples I've worked with is a, is a reality that in oftentimes in marriage, one person is really good with the truth part, of speaking truth, being decisive, um, kind of calling things out, making the tough call. But they might lack some of the grace piece, right? It's more fire-ready aim, okay? Yeah. And then so sometimes their default is just needing to be right. Kind of a last word, Larry, last word, Lorraine. Their best stuff is, God, they'll get in there and, and clean things up and not avoid messes, and and we need that. And the other side of the street is somebody that's a little bit more vulnerable to that people-pleasing side. They just want to be liked, right? But they bring a lot of good grace stuff. They bring, you know, all Colossians 3 big time, right? The humility, the compassion, the the grace upon grace, just that sense of harmony and wanting things to go okay, and that's, we need that too, right? But their struggle is under stress. They tend to avoid messes, minimize it. And if they're not careful, if they've had a disagreement with their spouse 14 years ago on a Tuesday, they still remember that and have a little resentment bank account that draws money <laughs> at that right. point. Yeah. Versus, hey, you know, I, I needed to say what was on my mind too. 
So I just noticed that dynamic with lots of couples, and then that can play out in their parenting styles too. Does that make sense? The person that wants mm-hmm. to be right is a little bit more, you know, too authoritarian under stress versus making sure their kids know their own feelings and their kids have a chance to express what's on their mind, whether they want to say two words or talk for an hour. Uh, how am I not just being the last word, kind of shut up and listen? How am I saying, hey, as a healthy leader, here's my perspective on it, here's what we're going to do, but I really want to know what you're thinking, you know, mm-hmm. so the kids can know what they're feeling and thinking. And then the grace-based parent needs to work on actually following through with the correction, with the discipline, you know, if they were beyond curfew, here's what we talked about, here's what needs to happen versus being the kid's friend. So I think it's good to know your own personality style, because I've really seen lots of couples like that get vulnerable around halftime with the, the controller not knowing there's anything wrong and the pleaser building up resentment. And so how do we get ahead of that early on? How does the pleaser speak more truth and not build resentment and just come out to play more and engage more? How does the that need-to-be-right person kind of step back and make sure they're creating interactions, not interrogations? So it's just an observation I've made. Hmm. That's a good one, too. And... As we live through this pandemic, I'm sure some of that's been heightened because uh, everything is stressful and new, and we've kind of been together a lot more than normal. Right. Which our wives will point that out. They will. will. You're always here. (laughs) Uh, Don't you have to go? Yes. Oh, oh, you're home already. I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm more extrovert. My wife's more introverted, so we're laughing already as we're speaking about this. Yeah, you're right. So... You know, it's interesting, though, Paul. I would say some couples, it's really helped because they finally do get time together because mm-hmm. they never had any, you know, because mm-hmm. one's traveling all the time or they're just two ships passing. So now they're doing quality walks and just like, oh, my gosh, that's why I fell in love. I forgot. Mm-hmm. Other people that have been home a lot are now home all the time, you know, all the time and trying to work while they're doing school with the kids and everything. It's just a chronically stressful. So... I think it's different for everybody, and we just need to, as a church and as individuals and friends, just pay attention to that and know what people are battling, what they're going through. How are kids doing through this pandemic, and are you concerned for them? Yeah, for sure. I'm concerned, and uh, apathy seems to be kind of king and queen with what I'm seeing with a lot of students I'm seeing, is that they're just apathetic or tired fatigue, you know, and depression shows up, you know, we, we talk about depression with, you know, things like suicidal thinking and excessive guilt, feelings of worthlessness, but four of the 10 symptoms of depression are all about energy, you know, lack of interest in activities, uh, chronic fatigue, a depressed mood more often than not each day, just energy stuff, right? So people have been sapped of their energy, so they're just more vulnerable to being more depressed. And we have more uncertainty, you know, maybe it's getting, maybe we're getting a little bit more certain, but we've got a lot of uncertainty. So people with anxiety that are already in the what if house have a, more uncertainty. Mm-hmm. So what you said is so perfect, Paul. It's things are just louder now for people. Mm-hmm. Things have been magnified. Magnified. And I would guess that kids aren't really sharing how they're really feeling, right? Yeah, overall. And again, it's common. And so it's not bizarre or unusual. I mean, as a parent, are we doing the best we can to still create opportunities for that kiddo to be in community, even if it's on, you know, over virtual or whatever? Just how are we trying to create spaces or they got a bubble they're in or now we're trying to navigate out of the pandemic a little bit? How are we creating space for that? So we just want to pay attention to connections and how are we giving our kids based on their age opportunities for connections. And we have to be creative about it. 
maybe less creative now as we're trying to ease towards more post-pandemic stuff, but just paying attention, the most important thing, especially if kids are 12 to 18, most of their identity really is in their peer structures. So how we create an opportunity for them to find a place, whether that's that one friend they haven't seen for a while or it's, you know, a community, a sports activity, whatever energizes them, how are we trying to make that happen as best as we can as parents? So many guests that have been through trauma have come on this program and they've talked about their trauma as the suicide of one of their children. Mm. And it's it's shockingly common and their stories are are very similar. Uh, the effects, of course, are awful. Um, if my child's not going to tell me necessarily I'm feeling this way, um, what are some signs I can look out for that I might want to intervene and to be concerned? Well, certainly family history matters, right? So if I know uh, of a family member that has had that a mental health condition, I'm paying more attention. Uh, again, uh, depression usually with adolescents will show up with either more intense irritability outwardly or inwardly, right? Uh, and it also can show up with just, you know, like I mentioned earlier, lack of interest in activities and just getting more sullen and withdrawn. And and you see it usually uh, go into many parts of their story, not just an academic issue, but a friendship issue as well as a uh, an in-home issue. So it tends to, depression usually comes in episodes, as I've said in an earlier thing with you. An episodic depression, which can be a, a trigger for suicidal thinking for sure, is... Uh, is that wave of depression, usually two to four weeks of very loud, depressive stuff that's really hard. So, you know, the best we can do as parents is probably know about those family history issues and then what we're noticing in our kids and trying to create safe spaces, you know, for them to be who they are uh, and pay attention to those things as best as we can. Yeah, for sure. And what they, it's what I hear you saying is they, they need a, just a lot of encouragement. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They do. You know, and typically if uh, a child or adolescent or an adult for that matter is battling even mild depression, they're already hard enough on themselves. And that's that where, that's where it gets hard as a parent, you know, when we're dealing with somebody that may, there may even be like bipolar disorder in the family. And bipolar de- disorder, the depressive episodes are very, you know, especially with bipolar 2, we call it, which is people that are more vulnerable with the swings to be more depressed longer and when they come out of it, the bipolarity is more hypomania, you know, not as intense of mania. So with those kiddos that have bipolar 2 that runs in the family, that's really hard because usually the depressive uh, condition lasts for weeks. And so it, it is hard, and they need encouragement, but it's hard as a parent to know what to say and how to do the right thing in the right time. Yeah. And now you have a situation where everybody in the home is experiencing some kind of trauma, mm. and and there are family units. My family would be an example of everyone's been through trauma at some level, um, not related to the pandemic, but everyone's got their triggers. Everybody gets tired. People fight depression. What do parents do if they're just exhausted and and kind of running out of gas? Yeah, you know, I I do think it's important if the family has been through trauma is just to just keeping aware of the stages of grief and it's not one two three four five and we're all set it we fly around to all those stages right so we have 
we give space and time for that bargaining phase of, oh, we should have, or this or that, or time to just really be sad and really grieve hard. Uh, time to just be angry for what's happened. Uh, time for, you know, maybe acceptance that's that's fleeting. <laughs> but we know that people grieve in different ways in a different time uh, zones, if you will. Mm-hmm. And we, we can't rush grief. And so we just need to be as empathetic as we can to each other in the family system to know that we're all grieving and grieving in different ways. Is it tempting for a parent to just focus on the child and bury their own feelings and grief? It can be. I mean, yeah, I think that's a great call out. And I think it's, you know, we're so in our own pain so much, we just really want to take on that other, our child's pain and maybe overmanage or be overly concerned and be triggered ourselves. And, you know, post-traumatic stress disorder has three symptom clusters to it so that when you and I are triggered, we're either vulnerable to what we call hyperarousal symptoms where we're lit up like a Christmas tree and we're just irritable, we're ragey, we're just really scared and we'll end up usually being very controlling and overmanaging. Some people have avoidance symptoms, which are just repressed, shut down, turtle up and just, you know, just are just so sad and sullen. Mm-hmm. And the third symptom cluster, which is probably even the most tricky, really, is negative alterations in our thinking and our mood, which means if we're being triggered uh, from the grief, from the trauma, uh, we're really vulnerable to assuming the worst will happen again. And so because, you know, the worst has happened, so we're thinking it will happen again. Uh, and kind of the body's way of protecting ourselves and our thinking style. So those three symptom clusters of PTSD are good to know about, you know, uh, but it's it's hard when, when triggers happen. So that's why we need to come around each other in the family and leave space and time that different people will be triggered in different ways. And we know about how uh, PTSD works and we understand each other's pain as best as we can. We'll be back to the conversation with Paul and Todd in just a moment. You know, Pastor Paul is a survivor himself of family trauma, losing a wife and a son. And that's what life support is all about, survivors in discussion with survivors. My name is Steve Johnson, Executive Director of Five Stone Media, and we are so pleased to be a co-sponsor of this program. For more about our work, log on to www.lifesupportresources.org. And now back to Pastor Paul. Kind of the body's way of protecting ourselves and our thinking style. So those three symptom clusters of PTSD are good to know about, you know, uh, but it's it's hard when, when triggers happen. So that's why we need to come around each other in the family and leave space and time that different people will be triggered in different ways. And we know about how uh, PTSD works, and we understand each other's pain as best as we can. The The grieving cycle uh, confused me for a long time because the first thing they give you when you're experiencing the death of a loved one is they hand you a, a little book. It's got the five stages of grief, mm-hmm. and you just assume that you should be following that track along. And one thing I've learned is that you can try to stuff these feelings and it works for a little while but they're going to end up someplace they're not just going to dissipate and then I find that some stage will just come up out of nowhere for maybe an extended period of time Mm -hmm. the problem is is nobody else in my family is there Mm -hmm. my friends don't really understand because they're not there yeah 
And so it can cause you to feel alone, isolated, and somewhat, I guess, um, a little bit, you know, loose around the edges. Like, what is wrong with me? Mm-hmm. So how do you handle all of these things that keep popping in and out oh, all of the time? Yeah, great question. I, you know, uh, I, you know, I'm probably saying this too much, but empathy always wins. And what I mean by that is, um, you know, so if I'm going through it myself and I'm really just crushing myself, the best I can do in that moment, probably even before that moment when I kind of sense, uh-oh, I'm going in. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. going to be a while. Yep. It's coming. The wave's here. The best I can do, not as a silver bullet, but just as a way of understanding, hey, is am I trying to view myself as God sees me right now? Because I know, you know, he's for me. I know he's holding me. And I know I'm in deep pain. But... um God understands it, and, and, and thank God God understands it, um, which isn't meant to be we're not going to go through that deep. And you said it perfectly, like we fly around to all those stages, and we're usually in one what none of the other people are in. And, yeah, so I think we have to first kind of do the best we can to reboot knowing how God sees us so we can receive that care during this time of deep suffering. I think that that's a good first step to try to do, to give ourselves permission to go there. And that doesn't rescue us out of our feelings, but at least knows, hey, I know a guy. <laughs> yeah. I know a guy. Yeah. I know the Lord. Like, yeah. And mm-hmm. yeah, I know he's been through the worst. And mm-hmm. okay, at least I've got that right now. Um, and to give yourself permission to feel it? Oh, thank you. Mm-hmm. Big time. I mean, mm-hmm. you said it perfectly. I mean, you know, the older I get, Paul, I think uh, avoiding is worse than overreacting, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, and so if I'm more vulnerable to avoiding any kind of emotion, it's going to leak at some point. So how do I address versus avoid? So if it's there, that's usually what I'm telling people in, in grief counseling is just whatever emotion is there, there, please, uh, you know, experience them. Yeah. One of my first uh, grief counselors after Taylor passed away would just tell me, you know, what can you throw around in your garage that's not going to hurt anybody? Right. So, well, I got a plastic garbage thing. Good. Go out there and throw it as hard as you can as long as you want to. Mm-hmm. The problem is in the culture we live in, and especially, I guess, not being trying to be unfair to the church, but in our Christian culture, those displays of emotion really aren't appreciated. Yeah. So it's hard to know what to do with that. Yeah. No, I think you're right. I think we tend to view, you know, anger made the feeling sheet, by the way, Paul. I mean, anger made it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It made it. So yeah. it, it's in there. Mm-hmm. And, oh, you know, you don't need, need me to tell you, like, you know, oh, Lord, you know, brought it. I was asked on a, a show not too long ago, well, what about turning the other cheek? I said, well, Lord asked us to turn the other cheek, but he didn't really turn the other cheek with the Pharisees. He kind of got all over them. Yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah. there's a time to throw stuff around the garage emotionally or literally, right? Yeah. There's a time for that. And I I totally agree with that. And there's a time to be, you know, quiet and listen. But there's a time for all of that. Yeah, it's all part of who we are. It's how God made us. Absolutely. Can't deny that. No. And I think it's tricky, as you said so well, with families when we're wired a little differently than, you know, if I'm a 30 or 25-year-old and my my parent is a little wired differently than I am. And I think, well, it's easy to get judgy in a different family when they're wired differently. Yeah, it really is. And it's easy to get judgy with our other Christian brothers and sisters. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's why I find myself doing a lot more listening than mm-hmm. uh, giving answers. Usually when I find myself thinking, I, you know, I just don't understand that, that's when 
God will say, well, you really should because you do stuff that's worse than that. (laughs) (laughs) Somehow God's pretty good at reminding me about that. But, boy, judging is uh, hard to avoid sometimes because uh, that sin problem is still very much there. So as we come out of this pandemic, Todd, in the few minutes we have left here, uh, finally we're starting to see the back end of this thing, it looks like. Um, What counsel might you give a family to try to go through another adjustment from being locked down, um, not having a lot of freedom to all of a sudden having the world kind of reopen to them? Mm -hmm. Is it as simple as just talking about how we're feeling, what we want to do, how we want to proceed, or um, Mm -hmm. is it more complicated than that? It's not a bad place to start. Uh, and sometimes, you know, everybody knows their family, at different families, different rules at some level in terms of how we go about communicating with, you know, six kids versus one or whatever. You know, are we one-on-one? What's the best way to bring out their best? And how are we giving them space to say, what are we for coming out of this? I have to have people look at what they're for versus what they're against and what will be life-giving versus energy-draining. You know, what in our non-academic time, in our non-sports time, whatever we're doing with our time, when we get time to, you know, to have Sabbath or rest or relax, what are we doing that's really life-giving? And that may be different for different family members. But that's a part of how we come out of the pandemic is do what does bring life to us again, and, and we get to do that. And that may be different for different family members. But we, I think you're right. we got to at least have an opportunity to talk about that. And I would think that goes for being at work. It goes for being at church, talk, listen, because everyone's going to come out of this thing at different speeds and in different ways, I would think. Yeah, and how are we kind of being the bigger people to leave space for that versus getting all pharisaical about it, right? Are we kind of saying, yeah, I get that. Here's what I'm going through. How about you? So I'm a, I really believe, especially these days, Paul, are we creating interactions with our, former, you know, our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, with our family members, or are we creating interrogations? You know, we create an interaction, a volley, Here's my take on how I'm getting out of this. How about you? What are you doing? You know, that's how we're walking alongside. Interrogating is much easier, though. <laughs> yes, and to, I feel much have all the more right when I do it that way. Yeah. When I interrogate, Yeah, I can feel it's better f- about myself. It's funny. That's who Jesus got the most upset with. Hmm. Yeah, yeah like, I've been there. But, yet, um, you know, it's it's going to be interesting, and it's not going to be easy. And, um, but... You know, I'm just very, very thankful that God has brought us to this point and that, you know, here we are. We're still walking with Jesus. The the church, Big C, is going to get healthier than ever, I believe, mm-hmm. because I think there's been some refinement that's been done. I just hope we don't um, forget the lessons that we've been learning through, through this past year and a half, because I think God's been doing some pretty heavy teaching. Tell me about your practice, because you're doing a lot of stuff there. Yeah, I've never been busier, and it's been... Uh, it's there's uh it, you know i do work uh probably too too many days out of the week but uh mostly see couples but i see individuals as well and dealing with anxiety depression couples dealing with communication issues conflictual problems uh and uh you know chronic trauma so uh yeah just toddmulliken.com is uh where to find and they make appointments there through through that and very uh, good yeah, it's really to great to in. see you Paul, it's great to see you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you. And that's Todd Mulliken again, toddmulliken.com. And, you know, Todd said it so well that when we are wondering and we're in one of those spots that um, it seems like we're alone, um, Jesus is still there, and we know he's with us, and I want you to remember that. 
that um, though there may nobody, maybe nobody in your life that seems to be reaching out to you, God is still there. He has never forsaken you. And I want you to also know that we have some great partners that help you uh, hear this show. My Faith Radio is uh, just a wonderful network, myfaithradio.com. They've been so good to us. You can see a video version of this at fivestonemedia.com and also other content there as well to help you understand more about church and trauma. And Ridgewood Church, if you'd like to support the ministries of this church, including the production of this podcast, you can just hop online at myrwc.org slash give. So thanks again for being with us, and we'll catch you next time on Life Support. This is Steve Johnson again, Executive Director of Five Stone Media, and we've had the privilege of creating the Life Support Series and the Life Support Resource Library. The library includes tools and resources that can help you be equipped to come alongside others who are suffering and in pain. Among the tools are therapist webinars, sermon starters and transitions, short videos, small group material, and conferences. And you can find out more at this address, www.lifesupportresources.org. And again, that's lifesupportresources.org and we'd love to introduce you to the material. This life support program is a co-production of Five Stone Media and Ridgewood Church in Minnetonka, Minnesota. listening to this life support podcast these conversations are available because of listener support you can make a gift now at myfaithradio.com to avoid missing future editions of life support subscribe to the podcast today at itunes or your podcast player and thanks for sharing this audio link with a friend and grow the impact of life support